All right, we're back. It's 2020. It's the Drink 5 Fantasy Finish Line Podcast. This is the Fantasy Preseason, The Rookie Show. fantasy football as you can tell clearly in mid-season form if you're listening live if you're listening afterwards and you won't know what i was talking about uh but i am jason uh, joined as always by dave dave how you doing hey guys doing good all right and joining us tonight is our rookie expert sean sean say hi to the folks hey everybody how are you guys doing tonight hi right. dr nick um, so it is nice to uh, see both of your faces and uh, do what is now America's favorite pastime, getting drunk with your friends on a video chat. True. That's right. <laughs> so uh, to that end, I must ask, what are you guys drinking? Because I have the Pollyanna Kiwi Allure, Berliner style Weissale, and I'm supporting my local brewery. Keep them in business. Buy beer from a local brewery. Uh, I am also supporting a local brewery here in Chicago. Got a an off color Apex Predator. Oh, very nice. Now the so pressure's yeah, on, Dave. We didn't prep this. Delicious. Do you have a local brewery beer to show off as well? No, but I have uh, a local. As far it's not very far away from here. It's from Kalamazoo. It's a Two Hearted Ale from Bell's. So it's local ish. Just a quaint little beer called Two Hearted. <laughs> I've never heard of it before. Don't so worry. I, I have some craft whiskey from a place in Scotland called Lagavulin. Mm. <laughs> so we need to help all of our neighbors near and far. Uh, cheers, gentlemen, if you want to uh, have a little bit to get this started. Cheers. Cheers to uh, Bullet Bourbon. Yeah, we, we could have chosen some uh, some whiskeys, some distilleries that are a little closer to our homes in the Chicagoland area. But let's be honest, they're... They're not as good as Lagavulin, so. Look, there's a reason that I'm never going to try and make beer, because I know that I'm never going to do it better than the people who already sell it at the store. There you go. Probably the same reason I'll never make whiskey either. That shout well, out can do to, other uh, to Vince in our chat room. Uh, if you have any questions or comments during the show, Vince, please feel free to, to shoot them off. And uh, anyone else who is listening live um, or wants to in the future, you can hit us up at Mixler.com slash drink5. Because Mixler is certainly something you know how to spell on the first go-round, right, Jason? M-I-X-E-L-E-R? No. No. That's well, not even my first go-round. E <laughs> I don't think there's an E anywhere in it, is there? No, there no, are no one, E's in Mixler. It's that one of those things what I was uh, like, like Flickr and a bunch of other things, right, where they decided a long time ago that if they just removed uh, the E at the end, it would make them uh, a little more cool. <laughs> So I think we may uh, have a call for a shot or two later on in the show. Sure. But first, we're going to dive into some football news. Um, we'll start off with the news of what's been happening in the NFL itself as an organization, not necessarily any player movements yet. We'll get to those later as well as the meat of the show, which is going to be a breakdown of all the fantasy-relevant rookies that uh, you need to know about from this year's draft. But first, you know that the Raiders are now the Las Vegas Raiders. And I would 
have to guess that they are going to be known as the Las Vegas Raiders much quicker than the San Diego Chargers were known as the Los Angeles Chargers. In fact, you still call uh, the Los Angeles Chargers the San Diego Chargers sometimes. On occasion, and I don't even do it on purpose every time. <laughs> uh, so the fantasy impact of this is not very much. However, I... Um, I suppose a lot of people are going to speculate that players are going to do poorly on their first uh, road games in Las Vegas. Um, we'll see how that works. There's always talk about like when players go to Atlanta, it's, you know, they get too they party too much and stuff like that. So you never know. Uh, Vegas is a hell of a party town though. Mm-hmm. So it could be um, the Rams and the chargers are starting their new se- starting this season in their new stadium. SoFi stadium. Um, for years, uh, four years for the Rams, three years for the Chargers, they've been playing at other people's stadiums. So finally they get a home in Los Angeles. It is expected to be done uh, f- as far as my research today. You know, the video chat is definitely going to be a fun one tonight. Uh, <laughs> I wish you guys could see it. Maybe we'll arrange that in the future. Um, Absolutely. So with uh, the, both of these teams having spent so long outside of having a home stadium, it's probably going to be a little adjustment but which of these teams do you think will do better in a, in their own stadium, the Rams or the Chargers? Oh, on video chat, nobody wants to be the first one to pipe up. Sean, which team do you think will benefit <laughs> I'll, from I'll having the home stadium? Um, I, I think the Rams will do better, but mostly because I think the Rams are just a better overall team than the Raiders still. Um, I think the Raiders are improving a little bit, but again, we still, I mean, we know they kind of think outside the box in the draft with Mayock and, uh, and Gruden in charge. Um, so we'll see how their draft picks from last year and this year kind of pan out over the next year or two. But I think the Rams are still talented enough, even without Todd Gurley as the anchor of the offense, um, that they're still the better team. So they'll probably play better at home than the, the Raiders do. Or um, you said, oh, we were talking about the Chargers, aren't we? Right. Yeah. Chargers, right. Ch- Chargers and the Rams. Rams. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, still, still the Rams. Cause I trust their quarterback somehow more than Justin Herbert. Well, yeah, sure. So I, That's fine. I, I agree. For for me, it's uh, just just that very fact that uh, that the Chargers are going to have a rookie quarterback, uh, and and they still have uh, a, a, a couple of issues to work out. Whereas the Rams were not too far removed from being a, a Super Bowl team. Uh, the Chargers have not been there in a very long time. Yeah. So the Chargers have spent the last three years having at least fifty percent away fans at their stadium. Do you suppose that that might bump up to about eighty percent now that they're going to be in a bigger place? so one more team from each conference is going to be making the playoffs we seven teams from each side that means that only one team is going to earn the bye the number one seed what i see is that it's going to result in more teams have something to play for either seeding or a playoff berth through weeks 16 and 17 as far as fantasy goes we've always seen that week 16 can be a little sketchy uh, especially if teams are out of it that's the bigger thing. I don't think that most teams who are in it are sitting players in week 16, but they may not be going as hard. Like uh, we saw with the Colts about, I don't know, in the Peyton Manning years. So I, I think that this may help get rid of that. If we're just pushing at least through the end of week 16, it's going to help the fantasy season because we're not going to have all these crazy wild cards anymore. Um, and then long-term I could see leagues extending to the end of the regular season which obviously it probably won't happen right away. And then we're going to be adding a second game, uh, sorry, not a second, but an additional game next year 
week seven, uh, it'll be the 17 game schedule. I don't know how they're going to work the buys in a normal schedule with that. If they're going to give people two buys or one, it's 18 weeks. Just be 18 weeks. Okay, that makes sense. But this definitely going to change the fantasy football season length, right, Dave? Uh, maybe. Uh, I mean, I, I'm not exactly sure how it will all play out, but that's an interesting topic of conversation. Um, do, do you think that it would be better to have a, a longer uh, fantasy season? I think that if if you can have reliable weeks of foot, of regular season football, that you might as well take advantage of it and have more fantasy football. So the question becomes how relevant are those later weeks when you add on new weeks? Are they are they still going to be unpredictable in that case? Or will they be something that you can uh, you can actually think of as a little bit more secure or concrete? Because there are still leagues now, as you guys know, I'm not in any of them, uh, but that play up until week 17. It's just it's the chaos of that that. Uh, uh, I, I don't want to be around. <laughs> yeah, the people who do best in the league shouldn't be punished by having to deal with the chaos of the, the last week of the season. Um, but with the extra playoff spot, I think that fewer teams will be eliminated. Thus, more teams will have something to play for. More games will matter. You know, even if one team's eliminated and the other isn't, the, 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 you know, the eliminated team has some sort of sense of, well, we should still play hard, you know, to try and knock someone yeah, I, out or something. I don't think it will be as drastic as you think it will. I think we're still going to deal with that last week being a little bit of a crapshoot with motivation kind of being in question for teams. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think it'll maybe change it and take a, take a little bit away from that, and I think it'll be a little bit more competitive where everyone's trying to win, but I think it's not going to be as big of a change as, as you might be expecting. So well, ultimately, the... I'm I'm uh, I'm happy to uh, play longer if that's what it what it turns out to do. <laughs> With the addition then of more games, do you see? So we right now we get 15 fantasy games from all the players that we have. Would you like see just like one more week getting tacked onto the fantasy season at least then? And that's then, what I think. I could understand yeah. still not playing the very final week of the year. Right. I, I could see teams instead of um, you know instead of adding a, a, a week to the regular season, perhaps making the championship week to a two week matchup or things and that's, of that sort. That's, that's what I've done in some leagues in the past. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so there's a new collective bargaining agreement struck between the league and the NFLPA that is going to be good for another ten years, which renews this year. So they're good through the 2030 season. So there's going to be no repeat of the 2011 lockout off season. We all remember that, I'm sure. Um, and I think they went all the way through the Hall of Fame game. Is that right? Like they didn't have a Hall of Fame game that year because there was no agreement yet. I think you recall correctly. Ah, right. Um, so I mean, you, as, say, you say we wouldn't forget it, but I mean they didn't actually miss any regular season games, so I think people did forget. <laughs> well, it's true. Uh, you know, we're we're crazy about this stuff, so... That's just a we trivia a question that Jason's attention. hoping to come up uh, one night. <laughs> <laughs> Many years from now, what season did the NFL have a off-season lockout? 1984 right. and 2011. Okay, so aside from the additional playoff teams, the 17-game schedule, the new collective bargaining agreement will allow for two more active players on each team each game day. Um, the way I speculate this being implemented they're going to be obviously players at the end of the roster so they're going to provide depth and they're not going to be impact players so what you're going to see is that a little bit of the work uh is going to be spread out from those those fourth receivers i, I mean how many does a how many receivers does a team usually carry 
four or five in any game, or is it like always five and six? Hmm. I, I think they generally have five or six guys on the active roster, but Sean, maybe maybe you uh, are more clued into that. No, I think that's probably about right. I think five is probably a good a good guess is probably the average of where teams are. It would it would be pretty rough to only have four guys uh, as active wideouts, considering I've seen some games where like three wideouts have been injured for the game. Yeah, I guess they make a big deal out of it when like only two running backs can be active for a game. Um, that's true. So I suppose there's usually always going to be four. You know, the, the the question is like, are these guys uh, fantasy relevant players? Um, you may see more specialists making the roster, guys who don't need to be contributing on special teams. Uh, that's one of the things that I know that at the end of rosters, it's usually guys who can contribute both on offense or defense and on special teams. But if you're not getting that, um, it may not work out. What's up, Dave? Uh, yeah, so six wide receivers on the active roster is what NFL teams usually keep. Um, but most teams, I guess, only dress five for the game unless the sixth guy is like a super amazing special teams player. Okay. So, that so we were right sense. on there pretty much. Okay. So, so with, with the expanded active roster, is it is that an expanded dressed roster on game day as well? Yes, two more active players on game day. So I think that okay. goes from 46 to 48. Uh, with the fifty, the active man with the active player roster going all the way up to fifty-five. Um, so I, I think that maybe you'll find a little bit more relevance in very deep leagues, but that's at most thirty-two or sixty-four more players, and most of them are not going to be anything to do with fantasy football. Um, so there are some rule changes that are proposed, and they're set to be voted on at the spring meetings currently scheduled for the middle of May. Um, they aren't major changes, but some of them are that you're, they're not going to recommend renewing, <coughs> renewing the pass interference replay review. So we all remember that from this year and I need to stop using that phrase, but point being, it did not work out the, <laughs> the it was sort of a knee jerk reaction to a bad call in the NFC championship, which resulted in a whole season of people wondering why the rule was in place in the first place. Why, why they made such a big change. Mm-hmm. I Honestly, I think the problem with the review of it, of pass interference, was the referee's basically refusal to really take it seriously. Um, there were plenty of egregious cases that should have been overturned, and the refs just refused to overturn on-the-field calls for it. I, I, it I tend to agree. But I don't think they were going to change yeah. either. So, you know, the refs don't want us to – don't want – video and stuff taking their job i guess that may be where this is coming from so they do want to add just to note there won't be any vote required to not continue that they would have to vote to keep it going rather than uh the other way around so if they do nothing then it goes away i'm pretty confident it won't be back next season right they want to add a sky judge style official they had the sky judge in the aaf uh, they want to add one of those so that it's just kind of a guy at the game watching all the video replays just to tr- help, try and help them see if there's anything they missed. And, I, I, you know, the idea behind that in the AAF was that it provided transparency. They would actually, you know, let them talk on air, talk out the going through the ruling. I don't know if they're going to be doing any of that with the NFL. But ideally, it would help speed along. Uh, any calls that they got wrong and any replays that have to be done. 
They uh, what's up? The poor AAF. Yes. The XFL didn't even have a funeral this year. I guess services weren't allowed because there would be too many people at it. <laughs> they could have it in Florida. <laughs> so they are going to eliminate Bill Belichick's dead ball foul trick that we saw in a Monday night game against the Jets early in the season and then used to great effect against Bill Belichick in the AFC divisional round uh, with the Titans and the Patriots, which was extremely brilliant and extremely entertaining. We yeah. all went nuts when it was good, when it was happening. We loved it. Um, <laughs> so the only rule changes that might affect fantasy football, they want to return over time to 15 minutes rather than 10. So that's just more playing time in case the game goes in overtime. Um, more points. Yay. And they're going to have a fourth and 15 option from the own, from your own 25 yard line instead of an onside kick. So when you are, uh, losing, I assume, I don't think that you'll be able to do this when you're winning, you will be able to take a fourth and 15 play from your own 25 instead of attempting an onside kick. Now I suspect they have the option. Well, they have the option to still do the normal onside kick. Yes, I believe so. I believe so. Yes. So they said that this play was about 15% successful as opposed to an onside kick play, which is like 13% successful. So they wanted to up that a little bit. Um, so none of these changes that I've listed here are official. They've all been recommended by the competition committee. Uh, and finally, the last change this year is that international games for 2020 have been canceled. Jacksonville was scheduled to play two games in London. Miami was scheduled to play one of their home games there. Same with the Falcons. The Cardinals were also going to play a game in Mexico City. Uh, That's a pretty similar international schedule to the one that we've had over the last few years. Um, I think this is a good change for fantasy football because none of the stupid worrying about setting your lineup for an 8.30 a.m. start or if you live on the West Coast, 6.30 a.m. start. Just absurdly early. If you uh, live in Hawaii, it starts at 4.30 a.m. I'm fine with not having the international games, but it's it's uh it's just a small pause because it's not like they're not going to have them. They're big business uh, out there, super popular and a big money maker. So uh, let's enjoy the pause, shall we? <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, it's frustrating on a day where you have to like where you have a player who's a game time decision for an 8:30 right. game. <laughs> but at the same time, how much fun are those Sundays where you actually get up and watch? The 8.30, the noon, the 3.30, the 7 o'clock game all through the day. It's a full day of football. Oh, I'm not sure I've made it all the way. Sean, if you like that <laughs> oh, full I day have. of football, have I got a scenario for you? So, guys, it's May 2020. We've all been dealing with COVID. We've been dealing with uh, this thing for a month and a half now, everywhere in our lives, about two months, really. Um, so the NFL has been the only sport that's not been affected. So far, let's Look, we uh, didn't get the votes to the stage on draft night. <laughs> let's play a let's play a drinking game. Yeah, so any any mention of uh, COVID or coronavirus uh, results in a in a little sip here. In a little sip, as long as it's a little sip, because this article is going to be, um, or this segment, I should say, which has a companion article on our website. Please go check out drinkfive.com and read everything that we have up there right now. Um, I'm just going to pour a little something stronger here. Oh yeah. Let's do, let's do a shot, uh, in between segments. That's probably not a good idea. (laughs) As long as we don't do shots in between players later on. Fair. Was someone in the chat room calling for a shot? I told them that that they were allowed to cheers. Indeed. 
So likely because the NFL is a fall sport, it has avoided all of the complications of COVID so far. However, um, you know, you got free agency, you got the draft. Most of that is just paperwork. It's a, it's a big show that they apparently can, um, have huge ratings on no matter what, no matter what kind of production they have. If it's in Roger Goodell's basement with a bunch of, uh, call-ins or if they have a gigantic thing in Grant Park or boats in front of the Bellagio, it's all, you know, it's all lots of money for the NFL. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of my column that I post every week, um, (laughs) uh, cheers to Vince. I know he's listening and I know he's, uh, having a little frozen pizza with us. (laughs) <laughs> but uh, in the spirit of my column, I'm going to have, give you five scenarios for the NFL in 2020 um, based on the COVID situation that we have going on here. And I'll drink for COVID as I get going. Oh, that's lovely. So scenario one is that the NFL goes on as planned. <laughs> they can overcome the enormous logistics uh, required to deal with COVID-19 and play safely. Oh, this Kiwi beer is delicious. So the schedule is going to be released tomorrow. The schedule, let's say for this scenario, it's set in stone. Opening day is going to go on as planned on the on the 10th of September in Kansas City. All the games are going to be played with little or no fans in the stand. Now I got to assume if we have no fans in the stands for like a week or two, that you're going to start seeing like a couple of people per section. Cause like, how can they not argue that like that they can do safely, right? We could bring well, a hundred people in and spread them out through the stadium, a hundred lucky I, NFL fans. It, I'd rather not wander down any uh, um, uh, meandering paths talking uh, specifically about about what we think should be done uh, with this particular <laughs> virus. However, I have to agree with you. If everything goes on as planned, or even in uh, it goes on like. Uh, uh, number two or three in your um, in your proposals that you're about to go over, then there's not really a reason why there couldn't be a scattering of fans. Sure. Um, so it, it will be weird and creepy for the first few weeks. You're going to hear everything that goes on on the field. Um, I, rem- I watched an uh, Aussie Rules football game about a month ago or so before they canceled their season, and they had no fans there, and you can hear everything that the players were yelling to each other on the field. Yeah, they're gonna have to be told not to not to be doing as much swearing because that's all they do out they're there. They're gonna have to move the games now. to HBO. <laughs> <laughs> so by October, everyone's gonna be used to it. They'll be making jokes. Thanksgiving will have its normal three games. We're gonna get all of our Thursday night football. We're gonna get Monday night football. We're gonna get an awesome supersized wild card weekend. And the Vikings will have to pump noise in at the dome because that's what they always do. So I think that, you know, that's one of the scenarios. For what could happen. Now, scenario two, the NFL is the only sport that winds up playing. They're the only game in town. So they get creative. With no fans, they're able to really mess with the schedule. They're going to take over Saturday if college football is not playing. Absolutely. So think about this scenario. You get seven different game slots every single weekend. Thursday night, two on Saturday, three on Sunday, one on Monday. Seven games every single weekend. The NFL is the biggest damn thing that you can think of in the world because it's the only major <laughs> sport because soccer is uh, their season was just ending now. So the NFL is really the only major sport going that could be huge, especially for the first like month or so of it, because uh, that's before any other sports start. And this is assuming that like baseball maybe calls it, you know, or whatever. 
all hypothetical. Anyways, without having to worry about the fan schedules, they're able to start flexing the Monday night games so that you actually get really good games in all of these slots, not just uh, your occasional good game on Monday night. Normally, Monday night games were st- have been stinkers the last couple years. So we're lucky to get one, a good one every month or so. Imagine if they were able to flex it for the second half of the season. Thanksgiving weekend, there are nine different game slots available. That's going to cause people to be divorced because they watch too much football. <laughs> Everyone who doesn't like football is going to get really sick of all of us watching 25 hours of football in a weekend. You think you're leading the witness here, uh, but I, I like this leading. number two scenario. <laughs> <laughs> scenario three is that the NFL starts late. Um, so the the league is already actually kind of laid out uh, what they would do here. They would start as late as October 15th. They would eliminate the bye weeks. They would eliminate the bye week before the Super Bowl. But what I see is game regular season games going through the month of January into February. Uh, you get some truly terrible weather in all kinds of places. In Kansas City, where they need good weather to run their offense. In Chicago, in Green Bay. Um, you could even have just travel problems trying to get to places like Minneapolis or Buffalo. So I really think that... Um, it's going to have its own tough logistical challenges with or without COVID uh, in the winter. Um, so they would play <laughs> the Super Bowl on February 28th. That's the latest Super Bowl they've ever had. This game is stacked against Jason, so I apologize. They're going to run into all – well, I kind of control how much we drink right now. <laughs> the they own the beginning of February, right? They always have. It's always been that first weekend in February for the most part for the Super Bowl. And lots of other big events happen in February. So the Daytona 500 is scheduled for Valentine's Day. That's going to get interrupted by a weekend of NFL football. There's going to be four games the day, or two games the day that they're going to have the Daytona 500. Um, you're going to have the two one seeds are going to be the only teams that get a single bye week throughout the entire season. So I don't know that this is any kind of ideal situation, but it's sort of like uh, this is going into all this, what they say is their uh, worst-case scenario while still playing. Now, Mm -hmm. worst-case scenario really is that, you know, if the NFL starts and is delayed in some fashion and eventually canceled, it's going to cause all kinds of problems, um, you know, with, with the regular people with fantasy football. I think that if you're a smart commissioner, you're going to hash out a contingency plan for this exact thing. What are you going to do in your fantasy league if the NFL gets to week eight and they have to shut it down? Are you going to put everything on hold? Are you going to pick it back up if they can play again three months down the line? I don't know what's going to what's going to happen there, but what it's going to what I envision is that the situation if the NFL starts and then has to stop is going to get very political, and uh, you know everyone's going to be mad at each other over what happens. It's going to be like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee all over again. Oh boy. It will be dude. <laughs> at least that big. Oh, on a, on a much b- bigger scale. In fact, probably. Yeah, probably. Because um, some people are going to think that they should have never started. Some people are going to think that they should have never stopped. It is a good point that, uh, um, and we should do a whole podcast about this at some point. Uh, but that, commissioners um the impetus is on you to to come up with these things now so that when this kind of an inevitable situation does rear its ugly head 
uh, that you have at least something, some scraps of something to to show that you kind of planned for it, you know? Yeah, at least something to say, well, we planned for this, and that's not exactly what happened, but at least we can have some sort of guideline instead of you thinking that I'm making it up as I go along. So Jason and I uh, co-commissioned a Dynasty League, and maybe what we should do for one of these podcasts, it could be an interesting idea to simply uh, flesh it out on a podcast. That could be interesting. Basically record the conversation where we uh, drink a few beers and figure this whole thing out. Yeah, or even invite another commissioner, for example, and then just just try to figure out what the scenarios could be and call it Dave and Jason solve the NFL and COVID. (laughs) (laughs) And then we could move on to global warming and uh, North Korea, all all, all the other big issues. (laughs) So in my scenario five, and I and I get a little um, uh, ranty in the article. Feel free to read the article and send me your thoughts. I'll be sure to uh, file them away in the appropriate place. Um, but the scenario five is truly that there is no NFL season. They don't ever get started because there is no social distancing during football games. Uh, a hundred, couple hundred people is what it takes to run a football game at the least. I, I would estimate that at least a hundred people on each side, you know, between the team and all the support staff, the coaches, and then you've got the officials, you've got a broadcasting team because there's no point in having any of these games if you're not putting out a perfect television product. Because if you're not doing that, then you're not making any money on this. And then, you know, they're not going to do it at all. Um, so there, there are some incredible logistics. Uh, and I, I'll post a link to a sci- uh, Sports Illustrated article that I had read just talking about what it would take to run the baseball season in Arizona. And this was um, from the beginning of April uh, when people actually thought that that could be done. And it's clear that since the baseball season is completely on hold, uh, there don't seem to be any immediate plans for the NBA or the NHL, um, that a lot of this stuff is going to be on hold for a while. And while we're going to get a schedule for the NFL tomorrow, and that's nice and exciting, um, they already have built into it, they've said, uh, some contingency plans for pushing it back and eliminating the bye week. So um, they've already taken all that into account while making the schedule. It's almost like they know that it's not going to be just a normal season. Well, I, I don't. I don't know that I would say it in those words. I'd simply say that at this point, uh, it's kind of silly to not have multiple plans, right? And and the NFL is such a big corporation and hires uh, and and employs so many middle managers. Why not set them off to something that's uh, that's a task <laughs> that's actually uh, worth doing? <laughs> fair enough, Dave. Fair enough. They have uh, a wealth of middle management available. <laughs> All right, well, there was also a lot of moves in the NFL. Like I said, we've gone through free agency already. Um, so, Dave, would you tell us what's been going on in free agency? Or do we have to take yeah. a shot first? But before we do that, a shout-out uh, again to our our buddies Vince and Mike who are out there listening to the podcast and to everybody else that is either while we're live here making fools of ourselves or after while we're still making fools of ourselves but no longer live. Cheers to you. Yes, cheers indeed. And 
I ended up breaking this into two parts because it would have ended up being uh, like a four-page article and, and taken an hour to go over. So I'm going to be pretty quick here and just talk about the AFC. Broke it down into divisions by team, uh, what I thought were um, pretty prevalent moves from each team. So let's talk about the Patriots because everyone likes to talk about the Patriots, right, guys? They're my favorite team. Have I told you that? <laughs> I mean, my one my one real tie to root for them was Tom Brady, and with him gone, I don't I don't know that I can have much <laughs> to cheer on for them. So uh, clearly, Tom Brady skipping town to join the Bucks is big news. Uh, but what's interesting to me is that second year quarterback Jared Stidham is now the incumbent starter. And what's pretty cool is that the Pats didn't uh, didn't end up drafting a quarterback. I did hear some some news from Belichick about how that was not necessarily the plan, but kind of how it shook out. And I totally get that, especially if drafting best player available. But let's be honest, I feel like they are either waiting for something or they're just moving forward with Stidham at this point. Uh, and so for uh, dynasty teams, for example, that, that might have a guy like this on the roster, that's a really excellent turn of events. Um, the Pats... Uh, have a couple of other options at quarterback they could pick up from free agency, including Cam Newton, uh, then Joe Flacco, Blake Bortles. Uh, those guys are not going to be on Bill Belichick's team, right? <laughs> 99 out of 100 times, they never happen. There was a lot of talk about Andy Dalton going there, but, yeah, that never made sense either. Uh, Mohamed Sanu was not cut, although I heard all kinds of stuff about him being cut, but that leaves last year's cast of characters – uh, plus Demir Bird, who uh, was recently acquired from the Chiefs uh, as their pass catchers. Oh, uh, Vince would um, like to humbly remind you that they have Hoyer the Destroyer. Uh, I don't know if they do. Yeah, yeah, he's on the roster now. He's yes. uh, he was they signed him. They signed him. Yeah, so he'll yeah. be. I, I'll look up the details. Could continue, please. Well, he would be their backup in this situation, I think. Uh, but I guess we we don't have any idea what. Uh, what the tank uh, cutoff is going to be doing this particular season. Um, the Buffalo Bills went out and got Stefan Diggs, which is a huge gain for Josh Allen, who is already a good fantasy quarterback. Having a guy like Diggs is going to make him um, inescapable uh, as a quarterback that gets drafted this year. They also let Frank Gore walk uh, before getting signed by the Jets, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, and speaking of the Jets, Frank Gore is back together again with Adam Gase. So how many times have we said that it's Frank Gore's last season? How many I, times have we said that? I believe we start off every podcast season with declaring that Frank Gore is done. So let's just get that out of the I way, and then we can drink to Frank Gore's 950 Frank yards. Frank Gore Jr. is in college. That's wonderful. What college does possible? he go to, Sean? I believe he's at Southern Miss. Okay. Is he – is he a freshman or a sophomore, or is he later in his college uh, career already? I'd have, I'd have to look it up. I just I know I saw today someone mentioned. I think he's going into his freshman year. At yeah, I believe so, he's a freshman, and he's on the team as a running back. Yeah. So the concept yeah. being that that you're you're sort of insinuating that Frank Gore maybe plays like 20 seasons and ends up in the NFL at the same time as his son? It's that not would be, impossible. That would be the first <laughs> time since I think it was either the 60s or the 20s. It's happened one other time. Um, wow. no, it was like the 20s. It was like a team that doesn't exist anymore in a league that is not actually technically the NFL. Uh, a father and son played on the same team. That that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, well, 
I mean, I do think, and I put in this article that I think we'll get maybe a few more 100-yard games. It's possible, but I think it's it's his last residency, um, you know, in uh, the New York hospital that they call the Jets. Brashad Perryman was signed from the Bucks, so that helps. Uh, but they need some more help at the receiver position with Robbie Anderson leaving. Sure. Uh, the and Jets we'll, need all the we'll help they can get, man. We get a rookie crop. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about Denzel Mims, and I think there's there's an answer uh, to that that vacancy. Okay, uh, Miami Dolphins. They they acquired a Jordan Howard and Matt Breda, and now they're leading the running back corpse, and that's pretty cool. Uh, and they just drafted Tua, so they kind of won the uh, tanking for Tua, which is funny because originally last year Tua was slated to be the number one guy, but it ends up being Joe Burrow because of many things, including Tua's injury, of course, in college. Um, but some people still think that Tua might be the guy that ends up on top, and I'm sure that uh, Sean will will talk about his feelings about him but maybe it's looking up in Miami that's my point it certainly seems like they had major issues at running back and they've addressed that they've got some good wide receivers uh at least they did with Ryan Fitzpatrick um and now they have a quarterback uh the quarterback of the future and and not only that but also a, a good tight end that should develop into uh into a quality piece in uh, his, uh what's his name Mike Kosicki yeah that's the name so, so uh, he's like, yes, that's the name, but I don't agree with your uh, analysis. <laughs> Sean is itching to get to the rookies. Um, let's talk about the AFC North. The Baltimore Ravens, they traded Hayden Hurst to the Falcons for two draft picks. So they got a second and fifth round draft pick for Hayden Hurst. This is on a team where these guys had a basically an embarrassment of riches at tight end. But all they ended up really using uh, was Mark Andrews. So why not pass along Hayden Hurst to the Falcons? Who they got for that second round pick was J.K. Dobbins, who is a guy who they'll probably be grooming to be the feature back in Baltimore and will definitely get work this year as well. Uh, so business as usual for the team besides that. But they didn't need that much help on offense. And anything they do, including that Dobbins pickup, is going to be icing on the on the cake. Thoughts on Baltimore, guys? I think that they are going to be obviously the team itching to uh, get back to it. And, um, you know, I don't think they're going to be quite as successful as last year because everyone's going to be coming for them. Yeah, I, I do tend to think uh, that that with these kinds of quarterbacks or any quarterbacks, really, who are the centerpiece of an offense uh, like Lamar Jackson is, the more tape that you can see on uh, those guys, the harder it will be for them to run the same offense. But it's clear that they're going to be an explosive team, just like the Chiefs. Well, lucky yeah, they, for – I'll say they definitely upgraded the weapons. I mean, they not only did they bring in Dobbins, they also drafted Devin Duvernay to play wide receiver. I mean, uh, they're they're going to find ways to to kind of put more wrinkles in and and not be as easy to pin down as an offense. I I love kind of what they're doing, and I do think maybe not quite to the same level they had last year on offense, but I don't think they're going to drop off very much. Yeah. The uh, the Steelers. Can't win games by by defense alone. And although this team is one that's known for scoring a lot of points over the past couple of years, last year that was not the case, mostly because Roethlisberger was injured for the majority of the season. But they also had problems uh, with their wide receiver core and their running back staying healthy, etc. So this year they brought in uh, tight end Eric Ebron uh, to supplement Vance McDonald, who seems to be another one of those cases of people that is oft injured. 
Um, although he had that great highlight last year that they repeated on ESPN the entire year, like every single week, there's just a picture of Vance McDonald trucking the guy into the <laughs> sideline. One of my favorites. Uh, they drafted running back Anthony McFarland Jr. and wide receiver Chase Claypool. Uh, as a Steelers fan myself, we weren't really expecting them to draft more offensive pieces, but they did anyway. So I like to see that, considering their defense was so good last year. Uh, these might just be depth pieces, but I think we'll see a little playtime there. Um, more analysis uh, remains to be seen. Cleveland Browns' Case Keenum was solidified as the Browns' backup with a three-year contract, and the Cleveland Browns signed Austin Hooper for a $44 million contract with $23 million guaranteed. All I have to say to Cleveland is good luck. You are not a good football team. Do <laughs> you guys have any analysis uh, in addition to that? <laughs> I think that they way overpaid for Austin Hooper. Yeah, I agree I, with I, that. I agree, especially since they already had David Njoku uh, on the roster who – you know, looks like he could turn into a decent tight end. Um, but I, I will say there's some really positive news about Odell Beckham this week about his health, that he was mm-hmm. playing through kind of a, some pretty serious health issues last season that may have slowed him down. Um, and he basically has set, kind of come out and said, I'm as healthy as I've been in years. Uh, ready. He he's kind of seems dedicated to being the old, old Odell Beckham Jr. again. Well, I like that news, and and so does anybody else who happens to have him or plans on drafting him this year. I'm not saying that the Browns can't be a good fantasy team, just that they're cursed to never be a good football team. Uh, (laughs) Cincinnati Bengals, clearly the big conversation centers around number one draft pick Joe Burrow, who I'm sure we'll hear more about from Sean, uh, being the new signal caller out there in Cincinnati. So out with Andy Dalton, who goes to the Cowboys. Yeah. Uh, what an interesting backup, probably the, maybe the second best backup, if not the first best backup in the entire league, which is nice for the Cowboys. Uh, the Bengals also the drafted backup. a new target in, uh, T Higgins, uh, wide receiver there again. Uh, Sean basically needs to tell us all about the, who the Bengals added because, uh, that's going to be present in our rookie conversation. And I'm sorry, Jason, you have something to add to the, uh, to the Bengals. Oh, it wasn't a. It was about your backup quarterback comment. I, I would, I would guess that Nick Foles is probably the best backup quarterback. Well, I think Nick Foles would be a starting quarterback. So, <laughs> Fair I just don't see Trubisky I, starting for more than three games over there. Despite Foles' Super Bowl track record, I would prefer Andy Dalton to Nick Nick Foles. Oh, nice. I probably would too. I guess. Well, I mean, thinking thinking that Andy Dalton. For the longest time, uh, was our guy who towed the line of mediocrity and NFL starters. I mean, he's still towing the line. He didn't change. He's still like a mediocre starter. So, if you if you put him in an, a scheme with good pieces <laughs> around him and a good O line, he's he can be a very good fantasy quarterback. Yeah, not he, any different than an Eli Manning or you know guys that we've seen over the last ten years or so that they're passable as a starter. I mean, you give them the right situation. They can really flourish and put up big numbers. I think Andy Dalton yeah. was a top five guy one year. Yeah. <laughs> uh, AFC South. We're talking about the Houston Texans and Bill O'Brien's boys uh, made some changes. So this is an entire show in and of itself to sort of understand Bill O'Brien and why he is the way he is. But you mean like an entire, out. like a brand new podcast where we have yeah. dissected every single week. Yeah, the, the Bobcast or Bill O'Brien podcast. The Bobcast. I like that. <laughs> um, and I'm sorry, there's probably already a Bobcast, but not one that stands for Bill O'Brien cast. I bet you that's that the, there is one. 
No way. Oh, it's got to be a Houston Texans like fan cast, right? Oh, man. So DeAndre Hopkins is now an Arizona Cardinal. Uh, in his place, the Texans acquired Brandon Cooks and Randall Cobb and David Johnson. Uh, not all from the Cardinals, but they also acquired those players, uh, just to be clear. Uh, and David Johnson will take over duties as the primary ball carrier from departing free agents Lamar Miller and Carlos Hyde. There's also uh, Duke Johnson over there who will clearly play uh, a part. Now, like I said, there is so much conversation to be had here because David Johnson is not an, an, a super old football player that may or may not have been injured last year, that may or may not still be good. And we really don't have a good idea about those facts. But what we do know is he was not good last year. We do know that. And we do know that DeAndre Hopkins is an amazing wide receiver. So on paper, all of this is a little crazy, but DeAndre Hopkins was not ever going to stay uh, in Houston because he wasn't happy with the situation. And it's kind of neat to have uh, Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller because if they can both be healthy uh, for about four or five games, uh, Deshaun Watson can throw like 45 touchdowns. So get his, get his stats up real quick and then get him injured. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they've, they've built that team around speed and vertical threats. Even Kenny Stills, who is still there, yeah. is a vertical, can be a vertical threat. They've got downfield receivers. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how they all fit together. Um, but it's, I mean, if, like I said, it's interesting. Like, it's, it it's not necessarily going to be good, but it's going to be, uh, you know, high theater. To, you know what like, they, watch. What they really thing. need to sort of um, round out their wide receiver group <laughs> is like a top number one guy who can be in there every play and really fight for possession and not worry about the matchups. Hmm, who like could a, like, that a, be like a Hopkins maybe. type, maybe. Maybe they could trade for someone from the Cardinals. <laughs> Give up the first round picks from the next four years. I mean, the Cowboys have like three of those guys, so maybe them. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me let me do some speed uh, uh, speed teams. So Tennessee Titans, Delaney Walker, one of my favorite players in the NFL, he was cut along with Deion Lewis, not one of my favorite players in the NFL. Just thought I'd let you guys know. Um, Jonu Smith, who is a uh, an excellent tight end, a uh, younger guy, now taking over for Delaney Walker, should be looked at as a definite top 10 every single game tight end prospect for fantasy football. Sean's uh, shaking his head, but I disagree <laughs> with you, friend. I'll let you have a second, though. Uh, the Titans drafted running back Darrington Evans, in order to try and bolster what is a very thin depth chart behind Derrick Henry. In fact, when I look at who's available behind Derrick Henry, I don't see anyone. I see little wisps of smoke. Uh, newly re-signed Ryan Tannehill will try to come close to the high bar he set for himself in the 2019 season, and he will most likely fail. However, A.J. Brown and Tannehill and that team should do very well. Um, tell me about uh, John Smith and why you don't like him, or if you think there's another guy who's going to take over. I don't, I don't think anyone else is taking that tight end spot from Smith. I just don't think there's enough passing volume to support a top 10 tight end considering how much of their throws are going to go. How many of their throws are going to go to AJ Brown? Yeah. And it's not like Corey Davis, even though they didn't pick up his option, it's not like he's no longer on the team. He's still going to command probably 80 targets, even in that very run heavy offense. I did forget that uh, Sean is a Corey Davis truther. He oh, has a man. YouTube video series on, on Corey Davis. If you go to search for Corey Davis, the truth, you can find Sean's videos. I'm just kidding, Sean. <laughs> um, the, the Colts signed Philip Rivers, 
uh, for some reason to lead the offense in 2020. I feel like I'm I'm doing like the soup or something. You're, I need you're a thing dropping the ball me. on the main detail of this, the craziest part of this whole deal, Dave. What what the Philip Rivers deal? Yeah, that he well, got signed for the twenty five million dollars. Yes, twenty five million dollar price tag. So if he fails, they'll go right back to Jacoby Brissett, who is, I think, one of the best backups in the league, but not really a starting caliber quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, they drafted running back Jonathan Taylor and wide receiver Michael Pittman, who should both immediately get put in the starting lineup. But I'll, I'll defer again to Sean's uh, conversation. Those guys are most likely in, in what you're going to be talking about. And they also drafted, I'm sorry, uh, uh, picked up, uh, I'm sorry, uh, never mind, Trey Burton. Jacksonville Jaguars uh, needing a starting tight end. The Jaguars signed former Bengal Tyler Eifert. Uh, that will reunite him with uh, offensive coordinator Jay Gruden in Jacksonville. Uh, in other news that no one cares about, Gardner Minshew will retain the starting role, although the Jaguars did draft a, a quarterback named Jake, is it Luton or Lutton? I, I don't know the pronunciation. <laughs> so, Jake. We're going to call him Jake. Quarterback Jake for the Jaguars. The Jake, Jacksonville Jaguars. They're, of course, going to call them that, right? No. Okay. No, no, Moving not. on to the AFC West. Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, the fantasy football managers everywhere, including ourselves, should be excited about the Chiefs drafting uh, the running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. What, um, how do you pronounce his last name, Sean? You got it right. I think Edwards you got it right. Hilaire. See, I'm no good at this. That's why. That's that's one of the big reasons why I love talking to you about rookies, so that I can pronounce their names correctly. Don't worry, Dave. You, you specifically got it correct. You, if you can get the Missouri tight end that the Broncos drafted, if you can get his name right, then I'll give you some credit. You okay. don't need to know how to pronounce Jake Luton or Luton. You just need to know how to pronounce uh, Gardner Minshew. <laughs> True. Uh, and, and Jake, Jake Luton, Luton or whatever is 24 years old, so he's not tip- like a typical rookie age. No, you're right. He's he's like a he's like a dumb rookie. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't fail classes. That's not how this works. <laughs> it, it does in my mind, my friend. <laughs> So, so Clyde is going to be super cool uh, because his name is Clyde One, which reminds me of Clyde Drexler, who's one of my favorite basketball players because his name was Clyde. So they have that in common. Uh, also, the Kansas City Chiefs acquired tight end Ricky Seals-Jones, and that's not really that exciting either because they also employ Travis Kelsey. Basically, uh, the new running back should have some sparks and uh, and fire and smoke, and that should be really cool. I think you'll go into more detail on that later. But otherwise, why why do the Chiefs care? They won the Super Bowl, and they're awesome. Uh, they should continue to be awesome, and they re-signed all of the receivers that they currently have. Uh, the Denver Broncos, Melvin Gordon is now a Bronco, which probably minimizes the value of Philip Lindsay and definitely minimizes the value of Royce Freeman as things currently stand. Uh, starting quarterback Drew Locke got some new toys in the draft. Jerry Judy, who we were all on a call during the first round of the NFL draft, and we were constantly thinking, like, where are these receivers? Where are these receivers? They fell pretty far. I didn't expect for the Broncos to get Judy. I didn't think he was going to fall that far, but how great for them. Uh, And K.J. Hamler, who I don't know very much about, uh, but I'm sure that Sean does, and he can tell us. But the Broncos have very little excuse not to improve on their 7-9 and nine record from the 2019 season because they have new toys. Um, they have a quarterback that has a, a year under wraps. They have a new running back who can be more of a main guy. So 
Broncos, you got no excuse uh, to not be over 500 this year. You guys, uh, thoughts on the Broncos? How are you going to leave out Albert Oakwimbungum? Bunham. Oh, man. Yeah, I butchered Because that I didn't want to say his name because I was going to do that. Are we close? <laughs> Am I close, Sean? Albert Okuwebanam, I believe Oku- is the correct pronunciation. Whatever. Oku-Webanam. You're going to have to teach us how to say Tua Taya Vialoa. Uh, I like to just call him AOK, by the way. That's that's what I, I just AOK. Okay, A-OK. we're doing AOK from now on. Because yeah. if you say his his real last name, you summon some kind of demon from somewhere, I think is yeah, what happens. Like Beetlejuice. If you say it three times, it's. Yeah, <laughs> no one's ever said it three times. That's That shit's yeah. impossible. Uh, okay, two more teams, guys. So the Las Vegas Raiders, going to be tough to say Las Vegas, just like Jason said to open up the podcast when referring to the Raiders, but we will do our best. We will also take a shot. So guys, go ahead and pour one so that you so you have it. Uh, Henry Ruggs third, fastest receiver at the Combine. We're going to cheers to Henry Ruggs third, being the third best wide receiver taken in the first round. I don't know. He was the first one off the board. Cheers. Oh, I know. That's why it's funny. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. Sorry, Raiders fans. I know that whoever's the fastest in the draft, you're going to take. That's just, that's how it works. Uh, Marcus Mariota and Jason Witten also now on the Raiders. Maybe the latter signing was just so that Gruden could have somebody closer to his age to hang out with on the sideline, though. Let's be honest. A little Jason Witten in his ear, like he's not going to mind that. They probably both listen to the load era Metallica. (laughs) <laughs> um, Los Angeles Chargers, let us start first with replacing Phillip Rivers at quarterback. Insert Justin Herbert. The Chargers also drafted Joshua Kelly, running back who should get some work behind starter Austin Eckler. But Austin Eckler should be the clear-cut starter, in my opinion. Wide receiver K.J. Hill, I don't know about that much, but I have seen him talked up on numerous sites and numerous podcasts as being one of the steals of the 2020 draft. He was taken in the seventh round, but a lot of people had him graded way up higher than that. So perhaps the Chargers got something good out of there. You know, we'll see. Uh, something I'd like to mention about KJ Hill: he was the second wide receiver that the Chargers selected in the draft. Um, they took a different one before him last year. A late pick like that that people talked up was Kelvin Harmon from the Redskins, who people thought was the best receiver they drafted. Yeah. And then Terry McLaurin had the season that he had. Oh, so McLaurin. I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump in too quickly on a guy who the, the team themselves didn't think was the best receiver that they drafted on that day. That makes total sense. And, you know, that's why we drafted you for this podcast, Sean. So we appreciate your, your insight. Uh, I'm going to fill up my shot glass in anticipation for another one. And, Jason, if you could play us some buffer music, we'll get right into some rookies, shall we? All right, so we did uh, have a nice NFL draft. Um, it actually went off really well. There was a lot of talk about what kind of technical difficulties there might be, but there seemed to be none whatsoever, uh, even though all the 
general managers were terrified that they wouldn't be able to figure out technology. Turns out it's not that hard to use. Um, so, Sean, uh, you are our expert here. This is your time to shine, buddy. Why don't you start with the quarterbacks? Tell us um, who you like the most and you know who's been taken and what they're going to be able to do for you. All right. So I'm eventually going to put out some some articles on the site with some more depth in-depph stuff on Dynasty. Um, oh, Dave's waving like he has something he needs to say. I do. There was another request for uh, one more shooter in in the uh, chat room, and I have to put this one out to Vince. Uh, whoever uh, among us wants to have a little bit of whiskey. Uh, I got a real little guy I here. Hope, I, hope, I hope Vince is doing these with us. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, friend. <laughs> all right so uh, i'm gonna put out some stuff on the actual article with more dynasty stuff i want to focus more today on kind of redraft and where you should be looking at these guys uh for 2020 specifically um so really when you're talking 2020 even in two quarterback leagues there's about three quarterbacks that got drafted you should be paying any attention to and they're those guys that went in the top six picks you're talking joe burrow Justin Herbert and Tua Tagovailoa. Um, Jordan Love, you can basically throw away because Aaron Rodgers is probably going to be the starter for this full year. Pretty safe bet. Um, uh, it's a bold statement as as there, buddy. Huh? So that's a bold statement. Nah, I mean, sure. Uh, <laughs> that is not a bold statement. <laughs> so, Sarcasm doesn't work on video chats either. With the three guys this year, if we were just talking about raw talent, I would probably say Tua, then Burrow, and then Herbert. If we're talking about how many fantasy points they put up this year, I'm going to say Burrow, then Herbert, and then Tua. Uh, the biggest reason is, is supporting cast and how likely they are to start in year one. Burrow, with the release of Andy Dalton, is basically a shoe-in to start week one. It's almost a certainty. Um, and he's got weapons. A.J. Green, you know... Fingers crossed, may finally be healthy. Uh, they added T. Higgins. They've also got John Ross. They've got Tr Tyler Boyd, Auden Tates. They've got some guys who can catch the ball. And Joe Mixon behind them. They get their first-round pick from last year who didn't play a single snap because of injury back, uh, Jonah Williams, an offensive tackle. Uh, and they also added a good offensive lineman in free agency. I mean, they've built this offense to be able to be successful. Burrow, I, I mean, granted, he's probably still no more than a, a QB2 for fantasy purposes this year, um, but he's got the upside for more if things really click for the offense. He's the first one of these quarterbacks you should consider. Uh, Justin Herbert, I still think Tyrod Taylor may open the season as the starter for the Chargers, but Herbert's going to take over sooner than later. Um, you still have Mike Williams. You still have Hunter Henry. You still have Keenan Allen. You still have Austin Eckler, all who can catch the ball well. Um, they're built to be able to move the football, and he's going to you know, have guys around him who can help. Uh, the big thing for Tua is they really did not address pass catchers at all in the offseason. Um, they're going to come back with the exact same groups. You're talking uh, Devontae Parker, who is coming off his first actual solid year in the NFL in, what, five years as a pro, maybe six. Uh, Preston Williams, who's coming off a torn ACL. Uh, Mike Kosicki, who finally is starting to kind of show the promise that people thought he had when he got drafted. And then a couple undersized slot guys in Albert Wilson and Jakeem Grant. Um, so the weapons that they have, they, they're not devoid of talent, but they're not at the same level as the Chargers or the Bengals when it comes to offensive skill positions. 
Um, I do like what, um, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought there as you were trying to cheers me with your beer glass in there. Um, no, I do like what the, the Dolphins are doing, and they have a ton of draft capital for next year. So I think Tua, for dynasty purposes, is going to be – but if we're talking this year, Burrow is the one that you want. And like I said, he's probably more of a QB2. The other guys are more late flyers that are probably going to start eventually. Uh, Fitzpatrick could actually start half the season before we see Tua. I mean, that makes sense. I, In fact – uh, when Fitzpatrick was starting, uh, a lot of those receivers had had really big weeks. Fitzpatrick uh, can sometimes be magic, as we all know. He just he always turns into crap in the end. <laughs> he needs sure. to take over for someone. I mean, the Dolphins won some games down the stretch with Fitz starting, and I and I see them one give Tua some time, especially coming off the injury. And one thing, I'm going to take the drink for COVID. Uh, but with with oh, where, who drafted him? How much time are these teams going to have to really work together before the season? Of course. Right? Yes. I mean, we talked about the Chiefs re-signing all the receivers. The whole thing is you're going to have continuity from one year to the next. They know the scheme. They know how they fit together. These rookies are going to have a shorter ramp-up period to be ready to go most likely. Yeah, 100%, Sean. I mean, even if uh, we were talking about Proposal 1 in Jason's article that he so well put together – uh, you're still not going to have any of that off-season stuff uh, that we always have. Uh, so, so that that ramp up is not a ramp at all. It's it's a mountain. It's a cliff. That's more apt of off. a description. We'll go with cliff. So we'll let go. me let me go back to the 2011 season really quick and remind you that there was some very impactful rookies that year that didn't have any time to play with their team. They weren't allowed to visit with their teams because of the lockout. That included Cam Newton, A.J. Green, Patrick Peterson, Julio Jones, Von Miller, oh, yeah, yeah. J.J. This Watt. Is the, this is the talent trumps all conversation. I, I totally understand. It, yeah, <laughs> at least at the top end of the draft, I don't think you're going to have too much to worry about. Or that could have just been like one of the best drafts ever. Well, I just named off like a bunch of the players in the top 11. The only players okay. who aren't playing are Jake Locker and Alden Smith. Hey, point well taken. I mean, even even in this era of of COVID, I'll drink for that in a second. Uh, we we still have all of these guys going out and uh, uh, and you know working out and, and doing everything else that they possibly can. It's not like they've just stopped completely and they're on the couch now playing video games. That's not how it works for high level athletes. They they figure it out. They 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 make it happen. You know what I mean? Like uh, true. They, they might have private trainers that have social distancing or they they wipe down an entire uh, uh, room with weights and, and let the guy go in and do it. Whatever they're doing uh, for these guys, it's a little different from your normal athlete. Yep. Sure. So so moving on to running backs, unless you guys have anything else to add to the quarterbacks. No, I'm just um, unusual, un- unreasonably excited for the Dolphins, which means that you should not put any money on them this year. <laughs> He's gonna buy a Dolphins poster for for his bedroom, I think. Well, right? they have they have the they, they basically are using the same building plan that the Browns used without then selling off all the draft capital to get overpriced veteran players. All right, let me move the camera so I can show you my new Tua poster. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad that there is so, not a Tua poster in there. I'm so so, so next, I want to talk about the running backs, and the, the, I want to break these into the, the top ten that I have into two groups. The first group are going to be the guys who are taken kind of at the top of the draft that are going to be most likely to play early. 
Um, so the group is going to include obviously the only first rounder, which is Clyde Edwards, Alaire and four of the five guys taken in the second round. So we're talking about Jonathan Taylor, JK Dobbins, Deandre Swift, Cam Akers. Um, that's the group I'm going to hold off on AJ or uh, I'm sorry, uh, AJ Dillon until the next group of running backs. He's the other second rounder. Um, the thing I looked into this and basically in the last five years, if you were taken, uh, I mean, five years prior to this most recent draft. If you went in the first or second round, um, you had almost a 60% chance of getting 200 touches as a rookie, which is a huge number. Oh, wow. If you have 200 touches over those five years, you have a 90% chance of being a top 30 running back for fantasy purposes in PPR. Top 30 is a huge uh, uh, like disparity between the top and the bottom. However, that's that's an awesome stat. That's 90% incredibly chance. relevant. 90%. If you- if you get the 200 touches, yeah. Yeah. So when you look at this group, you ask yourself, who are the guys that are most likely to get to the 200 touches? And there are two guys who stand out to me. The first one is, of course, the first rounder. It's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I still think Damian Williams plays a role in Kansas City. Um, but the thing is, with Edwards-Alaire, he's the best receiver on that team already of their backfield. Uh, he had 55 catches at LSU last year. Um, which is a massive number in college. College guys typically on a good year getting 35, 40 catches. He had 55. Um, But the big thing, too, with Edwards Alaire, he's a perfect fit for that scheme. And Andy Reid, after the draft, said Clyde Edwards Alaire was better as a prospect than Brian Westbrook. And Brian Westbrook had a (laughs) four-year stretch where he was was a, a running back one, so a top 12 running back three out of four years. Uh, playing for Andy Reid in Philly. Um, so Edwards Alaire is huge upside in a great offense. Um, I mean, he's going to step in right away and have probably around 200-plus touches in the best offense in the league. It's immediately going to make him probably a mid-level RB2, if not higher, as a rookie, uh, especially when you talk PPR leagues. Oh, I'm looking at Brian Westbrook's stats right now. He had two years in a row with 4,000 yards from scrimmage, 4,020. I guess we can smoke for that because we're in a legal mean, state now. Not 4,000 a season. <laughs> no, really? total over those two years. 4,020, 4, that's what you get out of that number? <laughs> <laughs> you know Westbrook is the best Brook, right? <laughs> and he had 23 touchdowns during that time. No, those are sure. those are excellent stats. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, like I said, Edwards Alaire is the first guy that seems like an obvious bet to get the 200 touches. The next one is actually Cam Akers. Um, Akers would be my number two running back out of the rookie class for 2020. I had a Jonathan Taylor, had a JK Dobbins. Um, just said for 2020, the- Jason, did you hear that? Yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm saving them all up for after the podcast. <laughs> Whoops. COVID. Cheers. Whoops. So Sorry. The, conti- the, the continue, thing, Sean. Sorry about that. So the big thing with Cam Akers, um, has to do with how many carries, uh, He's he are now available on the Rams inside the 10 yard line. So Todd Gurley last season carried the ball inside the 10, uh, 29 times. He's no longer on the team. So the other guys that are being potentially replaced by rookies, Mark Ingram had 26 carries inside the 10. Marlon Mack had 17. Gus Edwards had 10. Um, so the odds are those guys are not going to see as much inside the 10 work as Cam Akers is. Akers is a guy who's going to step right into a big role. Um, the, the only competition there is Daryl Henderson 
and Malcolm Brown, Akers is a better all-around back than Henderson already. And Brown is basically a backup. Uh, basically, there's they're looking like a team that's transitioning from a scheme that fit Todd Gurley, which is called the zone scheme as far as their blocking. I don't know how well you guys are, how familiar you are with run blocking schemes, but the zone scheme essentially means you're the two of the offensive linemen are going to double team one of the defensive linemen. And then based on how the play is developing, one of them will go and block a guy at the second level. Uh, But it gives the running back choices of which place to go. There's two or three different places for them to pick in terms of the gap to hit Um, more of a man blocking scheme, which is what the Rams started to transition to last off season or towards the end of last season is what Cam Akers does really well, which is where everyone kind of has their man ahead of time. You hit, you set up one hole, and the running back hits that hole. Akers excels at that, and that's what the Rams started to kind of transition to late in the year last year. And their scouts basically said, this guy can be our workhorse. That was what they told the GM on draft day when they picked him. Take You take Akers because he can be our workhorse. And I think what, that's the role they envisioned for him pretty quickly. What did Kevin Costner think about uh, Akers? I wasn't talking about the movie draft day. I meant the actual day of the draft. <laughs> oh, okay. They, is he having pancakes? Kevin Costner still wanted Vontae Mack. It's fine. Uh, <laughs> so, for me, Edwards Alaire, Akers are one and two. Um, I would say Jonathan Taylor's number three. Um, for me, he's not going to catch a ton of passes, um, but I think he's going to get more carries than Marlon Mack year one. Uh, Mack still has one more year before he hits free agency. They're going to send him on his way. Um, but Mac last year only had about 250 carries. I don't think that Taylor is going to get that many. I think 150 to 175 is probably the range that Taylor ends up in. And so for him, I see him as kind of um, kind of the, in the next group. I don't think he's necessarily going to finish as high as Akers and as high as Edwards Alaire. I see him more as probably a high RB3, borderline RB2 kind of guy. Um after him, Dobbins is going to at least, at the very least, take over the Gus Edwards role, be the number two back oh, yeah. uh, in Baltimore. Probably average somewhere in the ballpark of 10 carries a week, um, which, again, it's going to give you fantasy value. He's a good receiver. Um, he's a more athletic Ray Rice uh, in terms of his skill set. Don't think of anything off the field when I say that. <laughs> of course uh, I was. Of course. He's, he's a more athletic he's, He's he's either a poor man's LT or a, a rich man's Ray Rice is what he can be at the NFL level. <laughs> Um, so he has a skill to be very, very good. Uh, but I think Mark Ingram is still going to see a big chunk of the work this year. Uh, I mean, you may see Dobbins eat into that a little bit, but I think, like I said, about 10 carries a week would be the norm. Uh, I I totally agree with you, Sean. I think they're going to transition from Ingram, but this year you might still see Ingram have more carries than, than, uh, than him. Yeah. But, uh, that's, that's not going to be next year. There's, there's not. Ingram's not in the plans. You know what I mean? Like, that's not how it works. He's gone like back at the end of the yep. year, probably gone. Yeah. Uh, and the last, the last guy, this first five uh, is Deandre Swift. Uh, I have him fifth. Um, I still think carry on Johnson is as good as Swift. I don't think that Swift is clearly the better player and is going to eventually steal that job. Um, but I think he will kind of take up the role that last year was played by uh, Ty Johnson and CJ Anderson uh, and J.D. McKissick, all that stuff is going to roll into the to DeAndre Swift. And he and Carrion Johnson will be a two-headed monster instead of Carrion and then a group of guys after him. Let me ask you, should should we care about the Detroit Lions or just not ever draft another player from that team? I mean, they're going to they're gonna put up fantasy numbers on occasion. I mean, it happens. 
There's going to be weeks where you're going to be like, oh, I should have played that Detroit Lion, you know? At times, the Detroit Lions are probably the second or third uh, best football team in Michigan. (laughs) I'm I'm being facetious. That's That's just (laughs) – wow. I mean, look, clearly clearly, uh, the Lions have good fantasy games. Uh, Stafford's going to be back and healthy. Uh, Most of the reason why I talk about uh, that the way I do – is because of the fact that um, that Stafford was injured for most of the year last year. So I think as long as he's okay, we're gonna we're gonna have some good stuff from the running backs. Go on. Okay. So so that's it for the first half of this top ten that I have. The next group, another five guys I want to talk about. So AJ Dillon obviously is gonna be part of this group. He's the other second round pick that happened. What uh, team is he and on? And then there's a huh. What team is he on? Green Bay. Uh, he was drafted by the Packers in the second round, which, again, was a bizarre pick, um, given that they have already two pretty good guys there in Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Yeah, you know what we uh, need in Green Bay? We need a quarterback and a running back, obviously. Right, and a and a <laughs> tight end. A tight end who's going to be used as more of a fullback than a tight end. Uh, <laughs> but the next guy – so the next guy that I have – the guy I have at number six is not A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon's going to be a little lower in the second round draft pick. Uh, the next guy is Keyshawn Vaughn, uh, Tampa Bay Bucks. As far as this year, um, I think Ronald Jones is still going to be a factor, but Keyshawn Vaughn is a much better uh, receiver, um, and he's and it's going to be an offense that's going to make it easy for a running back to to thrive because the defense is going to be so concerned with the group of receivers and tight ends and Tom Brady that the running back's going to have a lot of soft boxes to run into. You know what I mean? You're not going to see a lot of eight-man fronts uh, playing in Tampa Bay. That's a good point. And I think that's going to help. And Vaughn's going to have a big role right away. I think he's going to play a lot in year one. Jones will still be the 1B to Vaughn's 1A. Uh, but I think Vaughn is the next guy you want to look at. In fact, I could see some people taking him ahead of a DeAndre Swift, ahead of one of those guys in the top five. Um, but for me, he's the top of this second tier of guys. Um the next guy I have is Zach Moss, uh, Buffalo Bills, uh, running back out of Utah. He's a bowling ball, like small, powerful runner uh, who's going to be the early down thumper to go along with Devin Singletary. He's going to take the Frank Gore role, and he's probably better at this point than Frank Gore is, as Gore is, what, 37, I think, something like that. Oh, it's definitely uh, don't a popular you, don't you ever blaspheme Don't you Frank ever Gore. say that. <laughs> Look, I love, I love Frank Gore. Don't do that. But – for fantasy purposes for this year, give me Zach Moss ahead of Frank Gore. I think Gore. Frank Gore is our uh, age. And and Moss is one of those guys who does a little bit of everything well, but he's he's a power runner. He's going to get the goal line carries most likely ahead of Singletary, and he's going to get a lot of the early down work. Singletary, I thought, was going to earn a bigger role this year, but as soon as they drafted Moss, that kind of went out the window. Um, number eight for me is Josh Kelly, the running back for the Chargers. He was drafted a little lower. I think he's a fourth-round pick. Uh, but the thing with Kelly is he's going to step right into that secondary role behind Eckler. Um, you know, he's going to probably get 10 to 12 touches a week right out of the gate. Uh, and if he plays well, may work that into more. Eckler is going to get more carries this season than he got last year. Uh, but uh, Melvin Gordon, for example, averaged 14 carries a game last year alongside Eckler. Kelly's not as good as, as Melvin Gordon, but 10 to 12 touches is not a reach. Uh, there's, it's still, he still has to make sure he beats out Justin Jackson, but it's pretty clear the chargers don't view Jackson as a big piece of their, um, rotation going forward. You know what I mean? 
he would have gotten more prominent work in the last couple of years if they thought more of him. I think Kelly's going to step in ahead of Jackson. Yeah. Um, the last two guys um, are kind of going to be more depending on what type of league you're in. If you're in PPR, uh, Antonio Gibson uh, would be the next guy for me. Uh, Washington Redskins drafted at the top of the third round. Um, he is kind of a hybrid guy, uh, can play receiver, can play running back, did a little bit of both in college, and was absurdly efficient. He had, I want to say it was 32 or 33 carries and averaged 11 yards a carry at Memphis last year and averaged almost 20 yards a catch on 44 catches. Don't, uh, don't, you, don't you tease me about uh, the next Jamal Charles. What are you doing? <laughs> oh, no, I'm not even – here, I'll let his head coach tease you. Ron Rivera said Antonio Gibson has Christian McCaffrey-like skills. That's when, like, uh, like uh, Deshaun Watson's uh, coach was like, uh, this guy's Michael Jordan. Like, you guys don't even know. You know, like, it's <laughs> it's it's nice to hear that from the coaches. A lot of times it's just coach speak. But, but a lot of times it means they're really – Ron Rivera coached Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> well, right, and and a lot of times it's it's really true and honest uh, passion about those players. So, um, sure. if, if if you think that and you think it's real, that guy uh, he could be something special, huh? I I think Gibson has an opportunity to work in as the um, as the third down receiving back that Chris Thompson used to be, and hopefully a healthier version of Chris Thompson, but could also be used as a slot wide receiver from now from now and again. I think he's going to be a valuable PPR guy. Uh, we'll have some weeks that he's playable. Uh, and then the last guy, the top 10 for me is AJ Dillon. Uh, Dillon, again, second round pick, which says a lot. Um, but I honestly felt like this draft was more of a message to Aaron Rodgers, like get on board <laughs> or we're going to transition to Jordan Love and a run heavy attack. Yeah, uh, it might, might be. Dillon's a between the tackles thumper. I mean, he is a really good on the ground runner but he's not much of a receiver uh i think for this year if he does any damage to the top two guys he's stealing jamal williams role more so than aaron jones he does a lot of the same things williams does he's a good good pass blocker he's great between the tackles he's not going to catch passes but that's so what you're so what you're saying is uh if you're if you're giving some fantasy advice from this point and of course it'll change when it gets closer to the draft when hopefully we get some players on the ground but uh, at this point, if we're talking about the running backs for the for the Packers, um, maybe try to avoid them because it's going to be a weird situation and we don't know which one is going to have a whole lot. Uh, or are you just saying avoid Jamal Williams, surely take Aaron Jones, who kind of I, already has the, the lead role there? I wouldn't take Aaron Jones as a top 10 running back or top 12 so running back. Everyone moves down a bit. Down a little. I would bump Jamal pretty far down and expect A.J. Dillon to take a chunk of his work. So that's I mean that's those main guys. Uh, a couple of guys that were drafted fairly highly that I didn't kind of mention. Uh, Darrington Evans with the Titans, I think, is just a change of pace guy for Derrick Henry for the time being. May have some more upside in dynasty purposes uh, once he- if Henry eventually moves on from Tennessee. Uh, and then Anthony McFarland uh, with the Steelers is more of a one-trick pony. He's a speed guy. Uh, he and he he doesn't play as fast as he tests his 40 time is faster <laughs> than the way he plays on the field. And he is a liability in pass protection, which is going to make it harder for him to get on the field as a rookie. As a Steelers fan, I don't think they drafted him as a replacement for anyone, but more as another depth piece because they, they found that they were kind of weak in general at, uh, at what, uh, the position at every position so. where they had injuries last year, but they got I mean, that's... pretty devastated it from injuries. 
It was bad fair. offensively. It was great defensively, bad offensively. Well, let's Cheers. have a little shot and move Cheers. on to the wide receivers. Sure. Or I should choose uh, thank that. You, thank you for that uh, for that play-by-play. Uh, I think we can expect, um, and, and, and Sean, tell me if I'm wrong here, but uh, some kind of a write-up uh, uh, shortly on the site that we'll, we'll go ahead and blast off everywhere about these top tens. Um, or are you waiting to do more of a comprehensive uh, rookie report kind of? kind of thing uh, I, I can do both i can do one that kind of breaks down uh more from a redraft standpoint and another that does more of a deeper dynasty dive okay i mean I, i'm not trying to make you do more work just uh, uh <laughs> a lot of offseason left guys exactly and and that target continues to change too like like jason said it it could be um that we're going to be doing preseason shows in august or it could be that we're going to be talking about uh, week one in October. So we don't know. True. Training camp so, would start 10 weeks from now. Oh, it's coming. So I'm going to jump into the wide receivers here next. Wide receivers, I'm going to break them down into three groups. The first group is going to be the two – it's going to be three players. The two very obvious guys that most people said are these are the in the draft, Judy and C.D. Lamb. But there's a guy I'm going to throw in there for when we're talking top 2020 options – um, that most people are not putting that high in a lot of the receiver rankings. That's Denzel Mims from the Jets. Uh, Mims is a really interesting player. He's a vertical threat that can absolutely replace what Robbie Anderson brought to the Jets. Uh, and that's an offense that has a lot of vacated targets. You're talking over 150 targets between uh, Demarius Thomas and Robbie Anderson from last season that are gone. Um, you know, obviously Brashad Perriman steps in as well. So the two of them are going to split those targets a little, but I think it's extremely unlikely that Jamison Crowder gets 120 targets again this year. I think they've got better weapons this year than they had last year. Cause Demarius was a little bit washed. Um, you know, and obviously Robbie Anderson, uh, you know, just, I don't know if it, I mean, he was a good downfield threat, but that was pretty much all he was. Um, I think Mims can be a little bit more than that. Um, I still think C.D. Lamb is probably the highest upside guy for 2020 when you're talking rookie receivers. Um, obviously, no more Randall Cobb, who was the wide receiver three there last year. No more Jason Witten. Both of those guys had over 80 targets, and the only new body there is C.D. Lamb. Um, so I think he has a very real path to 100 targets. I think Mims has a path to 80 to 90 targets, but his are going to be downfield targets. I think those are probably, when you're talking 2020 receivers, your top two guys for me. Um, I think both of them, um, I think with receivers, you're probably looking at wide receiver three types. I don't think you're drafting any of the rookie wide receivers this year, higher than that. Um, and those two guys, both I see as guys who will be wide receiver threes in 2020. Now, let me stop you there. Uh, so, so referring to uh, wide receiver three types, you're drafting, you're talking about specifically for this year, this coming season. Yes. 2020. Yeah. Oh, because they, they, there are some guys here uh, that could obviously uh, turn into a wide receiver two or wide receiver one, right? You're not, you're not precluding that possibility. I'm, I'm talking strictly 2020 redraft leagues. You, any of these guys to be, you know, you shouldn't be drafting them as like a top 20 wide receiver for 2020. Well, if you're tempering expectations, then uh, you know that falls right like in line with what uh, Jason and I like to do. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. Back to what I said up up front with less time to work together. It may take a few weeks into the season before these guys are kind of doing what they're going to be doing on a weekly basis. Uh, And you want to kind of bake that into their price on draft day, you know? 
Um, the third guy, though, in that top tier is Jerry Judy. He's possibly the best receiver in this class, probably the best one right now. Um, I think Lamb has a higher ceiling. Um, but with, with Judy, I think he goes into a situation where they want to be run heavy. Adding Melvin Gordon to the two guys they already had uh, with Lindsey and, and Freeman is going to make them even more run heavy. Um, and I think that it's just going to be a situation where there may not be enough targets to go around for him to be as high for me as those other two guys. Do you think there's a possibility where uh, where Freeman is still valuable and they just run the ball constantly forever? No, I so, don't think there. I don't think there's a situation where where Freeman has any fantasy value this year, unless Philip Lindsay has none. One of those two guys is going to be out of the equation. I see. So so they're going to have to pick one, basically. Yes, uh, Gordon. Yeah. and I think Lindsay. But Gordon and one of the other two guys are going to be the guy. And I, I remember hearing rumors they were shopping Freeman in the offseason. Oh. And it leads me to believe that it's going to be Lindsey. You know, it makes sense that that maybe they would trade one of those guys because those three can't possibly provide fantasy value altogether. Uh, but having all three on the team is not necessary. So, yeah, that makes total sense. Sure. And it's always good to have injury insurance, you know. Well, if you can, but that other guy that's good that doesn't get to play is gonna is gonna be a bitch to you, you know. <laughs> sure. All right, so let's let's talk. So that's the top tier for me. Like I said, so for this year, it's Lamb, then Mims, and then Judy are my top three for redraft leagues. Um, the next tier of guys is gonna be another the next four, which is Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, and Michael Pittman in that order. Uh, Henry Ruggs for me, they took him in the first round. They intend to use him. Ruggs on speed. Baltimore, right? Uh, no, Ruggs, uh, Raiders. Las Raiders, all oh, right. Oh, Jason. Yeah, had, I, I didn't follow the draft as closely as you guys. I'm a little lost when it comes to what team these guys are on. Oh, no, that's great. You can play the role of the audience, uh, for, for us, you know. It's, uh, I'm oh. just kidding. It's Henry Ruggs, the, the third, who is the fastest, yeah, the fastest wide receiver in the combine. Yeah. I mean, Ruggs. Yes, he's a lot of speed, and yes, he's not the number one talent at receiver in the draft. The Raiders definitely reach for him, but he's still probably a first or second round talent. He's not a guy who's just not good. Uh, and the Raiders took him in the first round to use him. He's going to get the football, um, you know, and he's going to get some big plays. He's he's lightning quick, um, you know. So he's a guy I would look at right after that top tier, is especially in best ball leagues, would be really fun to have. Um, Jalen Rager uh, with the Eagles. Um, their top two receivers coming back are Alshon Jeffrey and Deshaun Jackson, who in the last five seasons have combined for three total years between them uh, where <laughs> they played 13 or more games. Was uh, Jalen so Rager in the Game of Thrones? Uh, which season was he in? He was not. Well, he, was he was a wildling, Dave. He was a wildling. That's the beginning of uh, Rhaegar Targaryen. Um, ah, yes. But no, but Rager, uh, he's going to play as their wide receiver three this year. Obviously, we know with Philly, they're going to use a lot of two tight end sets with Dallas Goddard and Zach Ertz. Um, but if anything happens to Alshon Jeffrey or to Deshaun Jackson, which seems a foregone conclusion most seasons, <laughs> Rager has a much bigger role because, again, those guys are constantly missing time. Uh, and Rager will play quite a bit. And I mean, they really bump, buff, bumped up the speed of their receiver group. I think Rager is going to be a guy who plays a lot in year one. And he's probably right behind rugs. So again, he's a burner. Uh, he's a little undersized, but he's a burner. Uh, number six for me is Justin Jefferson. 
uh, from the Vikings. They did remove Stefan Diggs from that offense uh, and replaced him with, with uh, Jefferson. But Diggs led that offense with like, I think it was like 80 targets. I mean, they did just don't throw the ball enough. They just really run heavy. Um, and also you have to figure, I mean, Adam Thielen only saw 40 some targets last year for Diggs to get that many. I would expect Thielen to see quite a few more targets this year if he's healthier. He missed six games and then was banged up for others, and that's why his target count was so low. Um, you do think I do think their defense takes a step back. They lost a lot of guys this offseason, um, so maybe they'll have to throw a little more next year. Uh, but Jefferson, as good as he may be, I think there's just not enough passing volume to really carry him uh, above those mm-hmm. other guys. Um, and then, uh, of course, Michael Pittman, like I said, was my number seven in Pittman. Uh, steps into a starting role right away across from T.Y. Hilton. I mean, he's better than Zach Pascal. He's better than Chester Rogers. Uh, Paris Campbell is obviously going to be a slot guy who's not going to play on the outside. And those guys, Pascal, et cetera, especially Pascal, got tons of fantasy points when he was in. Tons uh, with Jacoby Brissett as the quarterback. Uh, but that was when T.Y. Hilton was out and he steps into a number one role. But clearly that means that there are so many targets in that offense that, uh, that someone that's better than that should should step yeah, into I mean, a, a role where they get a like, ton of they're gonna like having Philip Rivers. I don't know that I agree with that. I think they may throw a little more with Rivers, but the Colts are a team that likes to run as well. They're like the Vikings in that they want to run the ball more than throw it. And with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack both on early downs, they certainly can do that if that's what they want to do. Nobody on the Colts had 80 targets last year. Nobody. Well, not, I, Martin, not any not Ebron, not anyone. Well, and most of that is because uh, uh, T.Y. Hilton was injured for a, a bunch of the season. But, but yes, I, I understand. Uh, and, and, and plus the fact that if, if Phillip Rivers is their quarterback now, which he is, I guess, with this $25 million uh, um, lottery ticket, uh, we have no idea how Phillip Rivers and the Colts are going to interact together. So, Sure. I mean, and, and I'll, say, I'll say this for Pittman. He's the type of receiver that, that Rivers likes, a big physical guy you can throw downfield to. Um, almost a Vincent Jackson type, you know, early career Vincent Jackson. I've heard that. I've heard the VJAX comparison too, which I kind of like because I loved Vincent Jackson. (laughs) But at the same time, the Colts have probably the best run blocking O-line and two very good running backs that can run between the tackles in, in, you know, Taylor and Mack. So maybe they trust Rivers a little more than Brissett to throw the ball. Um, And going Mm -hmm. with that, you mentioned Brissett as who they'd go back to. I think Eason has a better long-term future in Indy than Brissett does. I think really? he's got a better chance. The guy they drafted this year hmm. has a better chance to be their franchise quarterback after Rivers than Brissett does. That's not to say either guy has a great chance at that. But I think after a year of Brissett, they realized he's not the long-term guy. And that's, that's too bad. I, I, I really you know heard good things about him, and I still did, even after the season was over, uh, to, to have them just kind of throw him away. That's kind of uh, surprising I mean, to me. With the way he performed in the second half of last season, I mean, they started the year looking like they could be a, a surprise playoff team, and Brissett yeah. just didn't get done in the second half of the year. Yeah, I think it. I think it's like I said. I think they've made the decision that he's not the long term guy. Okay. Uh, so the last year, I'll really quickly go through these. There's four more guys I want to mention: uh, Lavisca Chenault, Jaguars, uh, Jack of all trades kind of guy can be used um, out of the backfield. Could be used as a wildcat quarterback. Could be used as a slot receiver. He's great with the ball in his hands. Um, reminds me a little bit of Debo Samuel, but he's a little bit bigger than Samuel um, and a little bit uh, more injury prone than Debo. 
And so for him, health is going to be the big thing. Uh, the Jaguars, it's not like their wide receiver depth chart is very settled after DJ Chark. Um, so there's an opportunity for him to kind of garner a pretty big role early on, especially with Fournette kind of being on the outs with management. Um, T. Higgins, uh, Cincinnati. I think he is he duplicates a lot of the things A.J. Green does. I think they play kind of the same role in the offense. Um, but the fact that they've already – decline John Ross's option makes me think that he may fit into three receiver sets with Tyler Boyd and AJ Green where Green and uh, Higgins play on the outside and Boyd plays in the slot Um, I think Higgins will take off more after this year when Green hits free agency because I don't think Green comes back Um, but I think for this year Higgins will get on the field but again these are mostly flyer guys that you're taking late in drafts the guys I'm getting into right now Um, Brandon Ayuk 49ers just not enough passing volume and Kittle and Debo are clearly going to be one and two. And then there's a lot of targets to the running backs that come in as well. Um, even as great as Emmanuel Sanders was in San Francisco last year, he averaged about five and a half targets a game as a 49er uh, in the regular season. I don't think that I sees any more than that. Yeah. Sanders uh, did a, did a lot with a little, and I, I don't know that a new guy could, could possibly, you know, take that kind of, uh, um, I, I just don't, I don't see it happening either. But uh, also, you're saying that some, some of those targets will go to him, though, yeah? Also, weird fact about Bra- – uh, not necessarily Brandon Ayuk, but he, you know, Ayuk comes from Arizona State as where he played college ball. Head coach is Herm Edwards. John Lynch uh, – or actually, maybe maybe Kyle Shanahan. I have to look it up again. I forget if it's Lynch or Shanahan, but one of them is the godfather of Herm Edwards' son. Mm. And vice versa. Like, Herm Edwards is the godfather of the other one's son. There's like a family so, connection going on. Exactly. So they've – like trusted his word on Ayuk when they drafted him. They said that they were they had him and C D Lamb very close. Uh, which means they were taking taking a lot of trust in Herm Edwards' word on how good he was. Also said that if Nikhil Harry was there for them last year, they'd have taken Nikhil Harry if the Pats hadn't taken him. That is uh, another uh, Arizona State guy who played for Herm Edwards. That's John Lynch, uh, who is the godfather of Herm Edwards' son. There you go. Thank you for fact-checking that. I wasn't sure it was him. <laughs> uh, and then the last one uh, that I want to mention at receiver of the top guys for me is Brian Edwards, uh, South Carolina guy uh, on the Raiders. Um, there's no real conviction that Tyrell Williams, Nelson Aguilar, Zay Jones, or Hunter Renfro are locked into their roles <laughs> or locked into targets. Brian Edwards is a guy who can be very good, um, you know, given the opportunity. Uh, but he's going to have to work his way up the depth chart to make that happen. I still think Ruggs is going to be their leading target guy this year, but Edwards has a chance to carve out a pretty nice role year one, too. Like I said, very unsettled despite huh. a crowded group. When you put it that so, way, Ra- it makes sense why the Raiders drafted so many wide receivers. Yeah. So Brian Edwards, is he a, a more of a, a, a pop music, or, or is he like a, a country a country pop singer, or is it kind of a folk kind of thing? He's country rap. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. yes. If anything, that's he's from South Carolina. Uh, but he he's has the Eminem of country <laughs> music. <laughs> gotcha. So uh, he's he's. Uh... <laughs> I, I I hear you. I don't know. So uh, we we got we got tight ends to go right, uh, Jason. Uh, uh, yeah, just a couple yeah. tight ends, I think. So the tight end position, there's not a whole lot to talk about when you're talking redraft. The one guy that I think is worth drafting is more as a backup tight end uh, for your fantasy team is Devin Asiasi. Uh, from the Patriots. Um, he's the better of the two tight ends they drafted in terms of receiving ability. Um, 
they may be trying to duplicate the Gronk Aaron Hernandez thing, and he would be more the Aaron Hernandez type in terms of on-field skill. We're going to do a quick shot. I like how uh, you specify on-field when you refer to Aaron Hernandez and Ray Rice. Aaron Hernandez. You know, Good for you, Sean. Him. Keeping us out of trouble. Jason, he doesn't want to get confused, you know. Uh, the funny thing about Asi Asi is, is uh, in Spanish, that means so-so or mediocrity or Andy Dalton line, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Here. We'll drink to Frank Gore, who is turning 37 next week. Mm. Oh, not I, I guessed 37. I was close. Still younger than me. Frank Gore was still on the 49ers when we started talking about him and declaring him over. He is now on his fifth team this year. Well, he's Ooh. played for like uh, what is it, six, 16 years? Yeah, he's been in the league a very long time. He got drafted time. in two thousand four. Remember, I think Gore had two or three ACL injuries before he got to the NFL. Dude, that guy is a rock, man. He is a rock. Amazing. I love Frank Gore. Yeah. Just for that, he should be in the Hall of Fame. Although he's probably, I mean, being no, a long-term compiler he's... probably does not get you in the Hall. He's already in the Hall of Fame. He, he has. <laughs> this is has... Yeah, it's not baseball. This isn't the baseball. moment he leaves, the moment he leaves, uh, he's going to be. Uh, it doesn't. He won't be like a first ballot Hall of Famer, but he's like I'm a. Sorry. Yeah, we were always going to vote for him. We'll put him we in the Drink Five Hall of Fame for sure, but I think he's going to land in the Hall of the Very Good in the NFL. Well, Cecil Shorts and and Frank Gore, like they're already in there. They're already in there. It's, so the only other tight end, the, the other tight end <laughs> that I would mention in terms of 2020 outlook is uh, Troutman, uh, um, Adam Troutman, New Orleans Saints. If he's lucky, he'll get a year with Drew Brees as his starter. Um, Jared Cook is still in New Orleans. The hope is that he'll beat out Cook at some point or Cook gets hurt and he gets to play. If Brees plays more than one more season, Troutman will at least get one year with Brees. But he's a guy who has a lot of good receiving skills. Small school guy like Dallas Goddard um, who may get a chance to play. I mean, the rest of the tight end group beyond him is roadblocked. A lot of them that were good got drafted into spots where they're not going to play. Um, Harrison Bryant went to Cleveland where he's behind Austin Hooper and David and Joku. Um, you know, uh, Bryson Hopkins went to the Rams where he's going to sit behind Tyler Higby and Gerald Everett. Uh, we're going to see Albert, the invention of uh, three tight end sets this year. Uh, and then Albert AOK, my guy AOK in Denver, which I don't know if you guys were aware of this, his college quarterback before last year was drew Locke, who is now his pro quarterback. Oh, um, nice. He's going to be stuck behind Noah Fant. I, that's why I didn't include KJ Hamler in my top eleven or top twelve receivers. There. So they already have Noah Fant, but they drafted him, and he was uh, a receiver for Drew Locke. Yes. Wow, that's neat. Don't that's forget neat. about Jake Butt too. They do have Butt, but Butt is going to be the third guy. Uh, but Butt is going to be yeah, he's going to be the third guy. Um, but I think that's the reason why I'm a little down on Hamler because I think their base set is going to be two tight ends, two receivers, rather than a third wide receiver. So I think you're going to get Sutton and Judy and then OK and Fant at tight end and then one of the running backs. I think that's going to be kind of their base formation more often than not. But, yeah, I mean, that's like the biggest – the best tight ends are basically stuck behind guys who are solid and young. And it's like there's just not a huge amount of upside for them to get on the field quickly. All right, well, thank you so much, Sean. You have been incredibly detailed, as usual, and we greatly appreciate that. Make sure that you guys stay tuned to the website, and uh, Sean will have a much a very thorough uh, breakdown of the rookies at some point here, um, long before it is time for you to draft and make any real decisions. So thank you, Sean, for joining us. 
Thank you, Dave, for joining Thanks us. For we'll be back, I think, tentatively planning uh, maybe sometime before the end of the month to talk more about all the NFC acquisitions. We'll look at the schedule. We'll see where the world is uh, in three weeks or so, and uh, we'll have another beer with you guys. So it was great to drink with you guys. And uh, cheers. Drink five, everybody. I got